This is Two Peas in a Pod, and today's episode is going to be about um, Indigenous issues, talking to different friends of mine about their culture, their experiences, and their thoughts. Today, I'm here with Aaliyah. Hello, I'm Aaliyah Brooks. I'm 17 years old, and I've lived most of my life on St. Mary's First Nation. Yeah. Do you think there's a lack of education surrounding Indigenous communities? There definitely is a lack of education um, in many ways um, through, like, culture and just, like, the past of Indigenous people. Um, Like, I know a lot of people didn't know about residential schools or the severity of them until they started finding bodies of children at the old churches that used to be... uh, residential schools and if you don't know that um then you wouldn't know the how that still affects indigenous people to this day um and then the lack of education on culture just creates stereotypes and racism and then that leads to culture appropriation and yeah because i know um the way that um media portrays Indigenous people is very harmful and negative. Um, with the lack of education people have, this is really um, the source that people are getting. Um, yeah, like, like Pocahontas, like that was something I even grew up um, watching, and and same with Peter Pan. And I just growing up and realizing that I did watch those, it's just like so weird to me that like my mom would even let me watch that. It's just. Um, like, as Indigenous people, you would think, like, I guess my mom is just, like, really not educated on it as well, but, like, um, yeah, it's terrible to think I actually, like, enjoyed watching those shows, but, yeah, that's what people see, and that's what people think of Indigenous people, and, um, that creates the stereotypes on, um, how they look and and whatnot, and then that makes people think, oh, I could be a... Uh, indigenous native Indian warrior for Halloween and then they wear like these like rip off regalias that it's very hurtful to the culture um and I know that um the way that media projects indigenous women especially is very harmful um through the sexualization of you know their clothing especially um, yeah, 100%. Uh, I mean, I guess it would have been, like, it's better now, for sure, and I do think there's a lot of Indigenous um, representatives online teaching the culture, and I think that's beautiful, but, um, again, there's just some people who won't open their mind to, like, be educated on that, and, um, or just don't have the resources to be educated by that, and, um, they're still believing in those hurtful stereotypes. I know um, the one time where I really learned about First Nations culture, uh, history, and, you know, residential schools was middle school where it fit into the curriculum. And it feels like being in high school now, it doesn't fit into the curriculum, unquote. And we don't really have education anymore about those subjects. You just are supposed to know the basics. But things have changed Um Things are changing still since what I was in grade six to now, which has been almost five years. Like there's a big difference in 
you know, what we've discovered, what we found out, and I think we still need to be teaching it because there's so much more to learn. I, I 100% agree with that, yeah. Um, I know, like, the one day we really have now as high schoolers is Truth and Reconciliation Day, but I didn't have a single class really stop and talk about, like, what the day means or even, like, like just talk about it at all. Like, classes really continued as normal, which I found very weird. Yeah, um, I mean, some some teachers took time out of their day to, like, um, throw on, like, the secret path, which I think is great. But there needs to be, like, a, like further education. Like, and I think it would be beautiful to bring, like, Indigenous people in and hear about the culture and just know more than just like the bad things like I do think it's important to teach about residential schools and um like racism obviously um but it's nice to know the culture too um and I think that's like a nice thing to focus on Uh, but yeah truth and reconciliation I think it's a beautiful day to have but there needs to be more to it and that's the only day you ever really get to learn about Indigenous people in school if the teachers decide to teach about it. I know, like, um, in my his- like in my social studies classes, I mostly learn, like, all the bad things that happen to Indigenous um, communities, like residential schools and their history. But it'd be nice to learn more about their culture now. Um, the one thing I really learned was it was in my grade 8 year we did a water walk, which I think was beautiful. And instead of just having videos where they taught taught us things, um, they actually had some of the indigenous students and teachers teach us how to make jewelry. And um, we did this walk and it let a lot of conversations open, not just about like um, how um, indigenous people celebrate land, but it also led us to talk about the crisis with clean water, which I think is really important. And I wish it was something that would continue, like, annually. I know the Terry Fox run happens, but I, it would nice, it'd be nice to see something stick around for um, information and learning about the culture of Indigenous people. Yeah, and I think, like, if you could fit in other stuff about the past of Canada, like, like the wars we fought and whatnot, then in social studies or history class, then you could fit in a unit about the genocide that happened in Canada. Like, I think that's super important to know if we're learning about the history of Canada. I wanted to know, how does mental health affect First Nations communities? Well, um, I think a big thing is, like, okay, so a lot of people aren't aware of, like, intergenerational trauma. So we hold, like, the trauma of our parents and they hold the trauma of theirs, so on and so forth. So that would date back to residential schools. And if that's passed down and if like back then indigenous people like, so say you went to residential school, you weren't parented by your parents. Mm -hmm. So all you knew was what they taught you. And obviously what happened there was not good. So how are you supposed to know, like, when you get out, how to parent a kid when you have one? 
And then, so that gets passed down and passed down and passed down through generations. And obviously, it wouldn't make you mentally well, you know what I mean? And they didn't have the resources back, like, oh, like to get a therapist, because they were reserved to spots where that's where they were. They weren't allowed, you know what I mean? And there was a ton of racism back then. There still is. Um, so, you know what I mean? Nobody's going to help them do you think there is specific help for um mental health on reserves and for indigenous people now um i i it definitely is probably better than it was like a hundred percent and i know like at school um i've had i like i've had um i went to fhs in grade nine and there wasn't really there was only like one mousy teacher um so there wasn't really a lot of resources to, like, get another Indigenous person to, like, you know, like, help you. So, but at Leo Hayes, I definitely do think, like, they have an Indigenous counselor. Um, so I think that's a great that they have that. And she's, like, the one we have now, she's actually, like, um, she's actually my uncle's girlfriend. So I feel super comfortable around her. And I, I she's, like, I feel like she's helped a ton with me and my other friends who go see her, they've helped, they've had a lot of help from her too. So I think that's great. Um, and within the community, uh, I'm not really sure because um, I, I feel like there's a lot of people who aren't doing the best. And I don't know if that's because they are Indigenous or if it's just because they're not mentally well and when you're not mentally well sometimes you can't go and get that help for you but I've seen a lot of really not mentally well people around and it makes me sad but I don't I don't know if it's because they're indigenous or you know but yeah I know for school, definitely, um, it's a lot easier to talk to someone who understands what you're going through or who you are in your identity. I know, like, as a queer person, I prefer to talk about people who are part of the community to talk about my issues as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Because, um, actually, I went to Devon Middle School, and there was a mouse teacher there, um, which, yeah, that's great, um... But we had, there was a lot of racist kids there, like, because they would make, like, if there was, like, there was a language class, so the people, the, the people who weren't Maliseet, they would go, and they would go to French class, and then we had to go from, like, the 8 wing all the way over to the grade 7 wing to go take a Maliseet class, and then we came back, so everybody knew you were Native, and there was a lot of racist people there. Like, I got called, like, <laughs> really bad racist slurs, and... The teacher, the principal there, didn't help at all, like, in any way, shape, or form. And she wasn't Native. So that, like, to see, like, a teacher not help, especially when it's, like, racism and bullying, it was just so wrong to me. It would have been, like, extremely hard dealing with it and not having someone stop it. Um, And kind of not even protecting, you know, indigenous and native students from that because like you didn't have a choice really probably if like what class you wanted to take about language yeah because it was like i 
I went to elementary school and learned Malice, and then I went to middle school, and it wasn't like I was I was like eleven. It wasn't like I was gonna go take um, a French class, and it was just weird how they separated us. It was it just felt not right. I don't know. I can say my middle school definitely did something similar. Like we did have people who either went to French class or took Maliseet as well. But I'm glad that they really did a good job, like, you know, not putting them out in the open or making them vulnerable because it wasn't this huge obvious thing. Yeah, and it definitely should be like like that. And there should be more education on like I think I think everybody should learn like indigenous languages because I feel like it was the first they, they were the first languages in like here so I just think it's important to root back at that and know that and like Malasi there's not a lot of fluent speakers and soon the language will die out so I think it's important that people learn the language I was thinking this like not that long ago because I remember hearing about like how we did have a Spanish class and a French course but I'm like how come we aren't learning Maliseet as well? Like, I think it's so important that they were the first people here. Like, we are living on indigenous land. Why aren't we learning the languages that they speak, that they spoke? Yeah, and at least, like, learn about the culture if you're not going to speak the language. Because, like, I mean, there's many different languages, like, indigenous languages in Canada. Like, it would be hard to, like, you know what I mean? But, like, at least learn about, like, the culture and stuff. Like, just so you're educated on that, I think that's super important. Do you think an absence on education about the culture leads to stereotypes today or even in the past? I definitely think so, because, like, if you're not aware of, like, residential school or the severity, or um, if you're not, like, if you're not aware on, like, the damages that residential school is still doing to this day to Indigenous people then you're going to wonder, like, you're going to create stereotypes about Indigenous people. Or if all you've seen of Indigenous people growing up was Pocahontas or Peter Pan, like, that's all you know, that's what you see Indigenous people as, then how are you, like, you're going to create stereotypes and then that also leads to, like, culture appropriation. Um, like, you'll see people dress up in those, like, regalias, um, and it's just super harmful, especially, like, the way people look at Indigenous women, because, like, Indigenous women were, like, very sexualized, and then for people to go out and wear these, like, um, princess warrior, uh, uh, native, uh, Indian woman, uh, costumes that are like super like skimpy and whatnot which I'm, I'm you could wear whatever you want I'm like I'm not like slut shaming or anything like honestly like I I'm not like that but to be have that label on it and that's what you see as an indigenous person especially if you're not indigenous like it's just super wrong I think media has definitely portrayed um indigenous people in a negative light and I feel like that really affects the way that people, you know, their perspective on the culture and just in general. And I feel like it's time to, like, start changing those movies and people's mindsets. Um, 
we were you were talking about like the sexualization of indigenous women um how do you feel as an indigenous woman do you feel more vulnerable um has your perspective on life changed really um learning more about your identity um i mean i i don't feel more vulnerable uh, or anything and it was mostly like like back then when the like um indigenous women were looked at like as only something for sex but they also were like the scum of the earth so it doesn't really make sense to me but anyways i don't really feel more vulnerable but um indigenous women um are because um I'm not really sure exactly why. I was I watched this like film um like last year. I forget. It was so it was pretty good. It was like um it was like about missing and murdered indigenous women and obviously with that whole thing you're gonna as an indigenous woman, um you're gonna feel more vulnerable. I I I I, I look I don't look native, so I I guess I feel like a little bit I guess a little bit better and but it's still like you know um I do get like if I ever went missing would anybody but like who isn't my family would they would they be there and make sure I'm good because I've had experiences like um I don't know I guess you just have these certain like little experiences that you think like oh if I was like white would they have cared more? Because, like, I do look white, but you hear my last name and it's around here. Oh, you're Brooks? Oh, well, no. That's what I feel. But I don't know. Um, you said that you had, like, um, you didn't feel as vulnerable because of the color of your skin. Have you ever faced judgment like you weren't white enough or you weren't indigenous enough? Have you felt judgment or even felt that upon yourself? Um, I guess it's more, like, to myself, because, like, people, like, most people, like, who know me know I'm Native, like, I live on the reserve I have for years, and I take part in my culture, and if you, like, my last name, people, like, they just assume, but, like, other people who would see me wouldn't really think that, which I'm fine with that, but I guess I do kind of feel like, Mm, am I even that native? Like, am I even like? I do kind of have that like little internalized thing, but I, it's mostly internalized. I think like people will be like, "Dang, you're really white for a native," and I'll be like, "Yeah, I guess, yeah." <laughs> it doesn't really bug me that much, but it's mostly internalized. Yeah. Um. What are some of the biggest issues First Nation people are facing today? Like. Like. Because you really need to have that understanding to understand indigenous people. And I think that's something that, because like we said before, it creates racism, stereotypes, blah, blah, blah. So that is hard to live with, you know what I mean? And then also, like, I know, like, they're still taking land from indigenous people. Or, like, like in grade 10, I remember in my mouse class, we watched this video and... Um, they were, they wanted to build pipelines in this community, like this beautiful, um, community or reserve, I guess. Um, 
and it like it literally is like a stunning community um and obviously they were like we don't want pipelines in our community like that um especially when they're like they're not even for them you know what i mean um so they protested uh peacefully um and also it was easier to build the pipelines um like on like white land i guess um, but they didn't want to do that to their land, so they would rather do the harder job on indigenous lands. So that's something that's still happening to today, and it's that's something that obviously needs to be fixed. And there's communities also with not enough resources to live, like no clean water, or I, I also heard I don't know if it's still happening, but like. Nestle, they would like steal water from indigenous lands or take water from indigenous lands and then make them and then clean it, filter it, and then make them pay for it for like a really high price. So that's something that's just like completely wrong and it really affects indigenous people and it that's something that definitely needs to be fixed. But I honestly think the lack of education is something that is one of the biggest problems. And that's on everything with indigenous people. Culture, the problems we face language i i think that's like a super big thing and not to just um people who are not indigenous but like also indigenous people because i there was so much stuff like i didn't know like like and i learned it like later on in life by myself not at school and i was like that is insane that is crazy and like i've learned a ton of stuff on TikTok too, which is like TikTok teaches more than like the schools do the indigenous people. That it's just crazy to me, but yeah. I know for me, I've learned a lot, not just about indigenous issues on TikTok too, but um, about all POC, like um, other parts of slavery that obviously weren't taught. Like that's something that I got to learn on TikTok, um, and different parts of social media, which I think is been really great i think social media has been one of the best sources of information today Mm -hmm, for sure and i know that the government has made all these promises to help indigenous people like have clean water by this year or um stop the missing and murdered indigenous women and we we haven't gotten to that and i think these provinces have been overlooked and like oh they'll get to them but they need to be done today like we need to have clean water today on all, like, communities. Yeah, and, and I, I feel very, like, privileged living on the reserve I do live on because, like, I feel like we have, like, a lot and we're doing really good for ourselves. Um, but it just makes me sad to know that there's a lot of communities out there. Like, even, like, Kingsclear, that's not that far away. Like, I used to, like, go up there all the time. They have horrible roads, and it's it just seems like like they have to go all the way over to FHS to go to school, and not a lot of kids are motivated enough to do that. You know what I mean? So it's just it's really sad to see that happening, and it's even worse in other places too. And it just it's sad to know that that's happening. And yeah, I feel like a big mindset that has been pushed is that the it's it's always the people who don't know anything about residential schools or what has happened or their culture who always think 
oh, like, why do they get everything for free? Like, why don't they have tax? Like, it isn't fair. Like, why do we have to keep giving? And I feel like that is an awful mindset that a lot of white people have had, or even that I I used to see growing up when, like, people were very uneducated about the topic. Yeah, I still have people who say stuff like that to me, like, oh, all indigenous people are lazy because they don't have to pay for their houses or work and pay tax and stuff. And I've had friends of mine who said stuff like that to me. And it just, it hurts. Like, that's why education is something that should, there should be more of. Because if people were educated on that, and why that's something that's happening, why we don't pay for our houses or uh, don't pay tax, you know, then they would not say, I would hopefully... I would hope not say those things because it's just not true. It's completely not true. What is something big people who say they care about indigenous issues can do to become a better ally? Wait, can you like, can you like say that? And like, I don't really understand the question. Um, everyone from different communities, I'm asking them like what white or people who aren't indigenous, um, especially can do for your community to, um, help them or be better allies and, like, better support them. Okay, yeah. Um, again, with the education, educate yourself and don't rely on just Indigenous people to, like, don't go up to your Indigenous friend and be like, yo, blah, 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 because they're not always going to know. And educate yourself, talk about it, educate other people. If Well, educate other people if you have the right education, I guess. And talk stand up when things aren't right, you know what I mean? And I, a, a, another one is don't always, like, talk in, about the bad. Like, if you have an Indigenous friend, ask about their culture and, like, partake in, like, cultural things. Like, I would, I would love to bring my friends along to, like, a sweat lodge or something. Something crazy. Like, I would love that. Um, and I think that would, yeah. I think um, education is definitely the biggest part, and I feel like it's about time that people like who actually care do a Google search if they if they care about these issues, learn about it because mm-hmm. a lot of the things are easily googled, easily found. I found tons of um, insightful resources online, and even when I wasn't looking for them, like on social media, on TikTok. Um, but I definitely think that um, that the education that white people do or people who aren't indigenous do is trumped by the information that indigenous people have because they have the first-hand experience. Mm-hmm. Um, you were talking about how uh, you like talking about the good as well. Are there any good experiences or um, something about your culture that you'd like to share? Um, well, okay, so one of our, like, uh, cultural foods, at least here, I'm not going to say... Um, for like every there's so many different cultures and indigenous like groups and whatnot um okay so we have this indigenous food it's like called fry bread we call it legalid which just means fry bread um and it's super easy to make um it's super good and one time she's not my friend anymore but this is a memory that i'll always keep with her um there's this thing for school is like bring a friend, a non-indigenous friend, um, and come make fry bread with us. And I was like, 
okay, I'm bringing her with me. And we went, we had an amazing time, and she learned about some of the culture, and we ate some food, and it was, it was just a really, really nice time. That sounds really awesome. I feel like um, food is, like, one of the biggest parts of any culture that just brings people together. Mm-hmm, for sure. Also, powwows. I think it's sad because there hasn't been really, like, a powwow here at least in, like, a year or two, maybe even three years. I don't know. I'm losing track of time now. But powwows, I love powwows because everybody's welcomed. People get to share their art. People get to dance together. And you get to see a ton of Indigenous culture there. And it's really great. I love I love powwows. Um, I've fortunately, I've gone to about two to watch and it was probably like the most fun I've ever seen. It was absolutely beautiful to watch. And I'm really fortunate because I remember in middle school, um, the last year I was there, I hope they've continued this. Um, we did a water walk and we partake, like we did a lot of, um, indigenous art that indigenous students and teachers actually taught us to make, which I thought was way better than watching any YouTube video. You had people whose culture actually was teaching you. And it got everyone outside and talking about, like, issues that Indigenous communities have of lack of water. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we did that too. It was it was beautiful. And most people were, like, like doing it and were, like, not, like, complaining or, like, like being like, oh, this is stupid. Like, most people were up to do it and whatnot so it was just it's it's nice to see that togetherness and whatnot because i know like the one thing we have every year is the terry fox rock and everybody knows what it is and everyone's like um you know accustomed to it and i wish that we had something like that to be accustomed to to look forward to because i really enjoyed it and i thought what what a great way to you know talk about these issues because it led to talk about um the water crisis um, different communities are having not just talk about like the St. John River or bodies of water and how they're celebrated in the indigenous culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely do think that would be like, because there, like we said before, like there is like Truth and Reconciliation Day, but like, and they do do some like really nice stuff on that day at Leo Hayes. Like, I haven't seen that like um, at FHS when I went, but. Um, Leo Hayes always does something really nice and it's it's good to see that but not every teacher is going to teach about it and then some just threw on like the secret path which I think is great but like maybe you don't even understand that you know what I mean because it's just like a clip being played and it's beautiful I think that is super beautiful and people should learn about that but like I feel I feel like there's more education that can be done, and it doesn't always have to be the bad stuff. It could be teach about culture too, and I think if you're gonna have Truth and Reconciliation Day, make that the whole day. Thank you so much for um, talking with me today. Um, I really enjoyed like learning about everything because these are questions that I thought were important to talk about and mm-hmm. would give other people who want to learn more a chance to do so. Mm-hmm. So thank you for everything today. Thank you. Today I'm here with Purity. Hi guys, um, I'm Purity. Um, I'm 
a bisexual woman and my pronouns are she they perfect um i'm gonna start off by asking you um what are some misconceptions about the lgbtqia plus community um a lot of okay so a lot of personally what i face like as being like bisexual um a lot of people think that like i'm unfaithful because like i'm attracted to men and women both but personally i find like with myself i've never really been attracted to men um i feel like the same way i feel like there's a huge stereotype that you know people who don't just like one gender can't make up their mind especially and i know for me being with a girl um now i'm hearing a lot of people just refer to me as a lesbian and disregarding like my sexuality and just making assumptions based on what they see and i feel like the same thing would happen if i was with a guy and like the assumption would be that i was straight yeah i'm like but honestly personally i find there's a lot of judgment just in the lgbtq like community in itself like personally i'm i'm fine with whatever like i honestly but there's a lot of people out there like even like like lesbian women that i know like some of them are like biphobic and like i don't even just like okay um but yeah anyway I know I've definitely been attacked online by people from the LGBTQ plus community by using different terminology than they would. Like, I remember one time I commented on this person's post and it was talking about how they were pansexual and a heterosexual relationship. And the boyfriend was really insecure and didn't want them expressing their identity. And I commented, I'm a bi woman who's in a lesbian relationship and it's valid that you're with a man but you know you have your preferences and same for me and everyone in the comment section called me like homophobic which like isn't true at all like I know I could have said woman loving woman relationship and I use different terminology but I know me and my girlfriend both identify as she her so you know that's the terminology I went with and I feel like there's a lot of pressure to be right every single time especially as a queer person but like I'm so new to the community I know I'm still making mistakes and other people are And I feel like if, like, the LGBTQ plus community committed themselves to fighting homophobia versus, like, fighting people in their community, Mm -hmm. like, it would just be a lot safer environment. Yeah. And honestly, personally, I've never had, like, a problem expressing who I am. Except, like, a little bit in middle school. Like, I was really bullied in middle school. But... Honestly, I think I'm really grateful to, like, never have really experienced any, like, firsthand homophobia or anything like that. I know for me, like, um, before I came out, um, about the year before, I've, I've always been really comfortable around people. Like, you know, you know, like, when friends were over, like, I had no problem, like, you know, sharing a bed with them or getting changed with them. But a lot of people, like, were like, you're gay. Like, you're going to turn out gay one day. Like, I know you are. And people were making judgments on my sexuality that I already had no idea of. And it felt like an immense amount of pressure to, you know, like, live up to them. But, like, I didn't start expressing these feelings yet. Yeah. I, I completely understand with what you're saying. And, like, sometimes, like, now, like, 
I don't, I don't really know how to explain it. But anyways, yeah. Um, I find when I first came out, the only person that was really like iffy about it was my mother. And like, she would always be like, oh, purity, like, you know, one day you're going to find a great man and you're all like, it's going to change your life around. Like you're going to, and I'm just like, Okay. Um, but yeah. I've had pretty accepting parents, you know, like on the off chance, they're always like, oh, I don't understand. And I'm able to educate them. But um, one memory I remember having is I was wearing, I think, a cardigan over like a tank top and some pants. And me and some friends were going to go out. And my girlfriend was there. And my mom was like, why are you dressing like an ugly lesbian? And I think that is the most offensive comment I've ever heard. And, you know, I was able to sit down and talk to her because she she works with students, she's a teacher, and I feel like it really opened her eyes about, you know, misconceptions about the queer community especially. Yeah. And, like, sometimes I feel that with my mother. Like, um, personally, I'm more of, like, a feminine, you know. Like, I'm more feminine. But there's some days where, like, I'm just like, okay, like, I don't really care what I wear. Like, it's whatever. And, like, sometimes my mom will be like, oh, like, pretty, you look like a butch dyke today. And I'm just like, oh, okay. Like, thanks. I don't know. But, like, I don't know. I feel like there's, like, I feel like I have to be feminine. But at the same time, I feel like when I'm not, sometimes the people around me don't take me, like, seriously. And, like. Like, even with friends, like, it, anyway, it's it's a whole other... No, there's such a stereotype that, you know, all gay men have to be twinks, or any any guy who is in the queer community has to be a twink, and any woman has to be masked. And I know, especially for me, I am definitely more on the feminine side. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of people, you know, toss me aside, and I definitely get the not taking you seriously. I'm also seen as, like, dumber, and, like, I don't understand. And, like, the stereotype is always, like, masked women always fit in really well with men because, you know, they like sports, they like cars. Like, people who are queer are supposed to fit in with guys who are who identify as women. And, you know, I don't fit into women, like, with men, but I also don't feel like I fit into women now because, you know, I hear a lot of comments like, don't have a crush on me or, like, don't look at me, I'm changing. But, like, I have no interest in you and that's not an issue for me. Yeah. Um... I honestly, like, I live on a reserve, so a lot of my friends are family, and they're, like, cousins, and there's never really been, plus, like, I find being, like, an Indigenous woman, there's more, like, in my community, it's more accepted if you're queer, if you're, you know, two-spirited, because back in the day, like, that was whatever, and, like, my personal perspective is like the way my grandmother used to talk about it is like gender and like identity and stuff like that like that's like a colon colonialistic like construct and so like when I came out my like my my Mimi and my Musa were really accepting of me which was really great but you know, I didn't experience that with my mom, but it was, it wasn't too bad. Um, yeah. 
you talking about like the comfortability you have like on the reserve and with the friends and family you have it leads me to ask other questions like are you comfortable expressing your identity where is like safe places you know you always can um honestly with family and friends like I feel a lot like at school personally like it's really like I don't know it's weird Because, like, I always... Okay, so, like, what I'm about to say is, like, very... It's weird because growing up, like, I had all my friends. And, like, now, you know, my friends, they're either graduated or they don't go to school. So, it's kind of... I don't know. I find my safe space is, like, community and, you know, being with my people. And that's sort of... It's really nice to always have a safe spot. And, you know, I feel like for, you know, queer youth, it's especially hard to find because, you know, there is so many people at school with different ideas and opinions. And, you know, I know personally for my school, we have very few resources of, you know, guidance counselors. And it's honestly very hard to get in with them. So it's really hard to build a safe space for yourself. Yeah, it really is, especially at school, because you're at base, like, like you said, so many people with, like, so many different opinions, and the thing is, is not everybody's gonna like you, and everybody, like, now everybody's really honest about what they have to say, or at least I am, I guess, so I don't know. Have you ever noticed or experienced over-sexualization from being a person in the LGBTQ plus community um, using she slash they pronouns? Um, yes, but also another thing that I wanted to bring up is just over-sexualization from other women in general. Like, <laughs> remember when Yubo was a thing? Unfortunately, yes, I do. Yeah. So that was, like, a big, weird phase in life. And, like, I had, like, a lot of, like, hey mamas, like, just, like, absolutely, like, brutal. Anyway, but, yeah, I've over, like, I've experienced a lot, sorry for starting, um, over-sexualization, and a lot of it comes from men. But, like I said, a lot of it also comes from women, Um, you know, I've honestly, I think the only like male relationship I ever had was in middle school. And I was like, okay, this isn't working for me. What am I going to do? And then I dated a woman and it was like, oh, okay, this is, yeah. So honestly, I get the rare occasional comment from like guys where they're like, oh, like, like, I, I was going to say, like, okay, you can edit this out, but I've had men, like, ask if they can have, like, a threesome with Brooklyn and I. And I'm just like, what? No, well, that's like, something I've heard a lot, too. Yeah. And so, I don't know. Yeah. I know for me... um, 
I came out, um, my, my second year of high school, and I genuinely thought that this was so late, that, like, I was so behind everyone else, but then I started really realizing it wasn't, and one experience I can pinpoint is there was this guy who would ask me, like, every single day, like, who are you talking to? Like, are you single? Like, are you with anyone? I mean, this guy, like, we kind of used to talk, we used to be closer friends, but, like, I would even share answer, I was like, I have a girlfriend now, and he just would not believe it, like, at all, until, like, a week later, he would ask me the same question every day, and I'd be like, I have a girlfriend, he's like, are you serious? And I'm like, yes, he's like, well, you need to prove it to me, send a picture of you guys kissing, and I'm like, that is, like, something I hear a lot, and I genuinely think it's so disrespectful, because, you know, the LGBTQ community is so looked down upon, except if it's two girls. And that just fulfills some man fan- fantasies that they have. And I genuinely think it's so disgusting because, like, even, like, two girls are are used to sell, like, man- manly products. And this is something um, I, I, I thought more about when uh, I talked to someone else about it. And they really opened up my perspective. Mm-hmm. But, you know queer baiting is really seen as like promotional and good at advertising like there's so many celebrities who do it but you know as a queer person um I have a completely different experience it doesn't you know bring me more fans more friends and I think it it's so unfair that like you know it's funny it's cool until it's real mm-hmm. yeah um I've had a lot of, like, like, okay, so the only real experience I've ever had with queer baiting was I was with this friend, and I'm not going to name any names, but they were like, kiss me for this TikTok, and I was like, what? And then she was like, no, like, it'll get, like, likes, like, we'll get on, and I was like, you're, like, off your rocker, like, you're off the walls. Anyway... So, she ended up making the TikTok, and I literally, like, swerved this girl, and I felt so bad, and I was just like, I'm not gonna kiss you for a TikTok, like, that's so stupid, and then she got on the For You page, and I was like, please delete that, awkward, anyway, so, that's, like, the only real experience I've had with clearing, this girl's, like, the straightest girl I know, like, anyway. I've seen, like, a trend about that, actually, on TikTok, and it was where, like, um, two girls would, like, pretend to kiss and then cover the camera before it takes them and then send it to all their guy friends and, you know, like, screenshot their reaction. Yeah. And I just thought it was really, like, disgusting, and it really, like, it, it, it puts a stereotype on girl relationships that they're for men, but, you know... Women loving women relationships, the whole point is that there is no man. And, like, I feel like there's a huge stereotype, like, who's the man, who's the woman in the relationship. But that's that's non-existent because it's two women and, like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, I'm not a man and there's no way that, like, anyway, yeah. Do you feel... Uh, sometimes unprotected and unsafe as a First Nations woman, does a lack of action for missing and murdered Indigenous women affect this? Yeah, 100%. Honestly, like, all the time, I think one of the number one things is that, like, I'm extremely cautious when I'm out. And, like, if I go anywhere, 
I try to, like, remind the people around me, like, where I'm going and how long I think I'm going to be. And honestly, as, like, as we're young adults now, it's shocking how, like, oh, someone text me. It's shocking how many people are still uneducated on the topic. Like, um, I failed grade 10 social studies, so I was taking that, you know, this semester. And when, like, <clears throat> Truth and Reconciliation Day came around, and we were talking about it in class, there was still, like, a few people who didn't really, weren't educated on the topic, I guess I could say. And, um... A big, a big eye-opener, I don't know if you've heard lately, but this girl, I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to mention any names, but this girl from, like, over on your side of the river, you live across the river, right? Yes, I do. Yeah. So, you know, this girl, she's 38 years old. She's just three years older than my mom. She, She's missing, and she's Indigenous, and it's really something that, you know, puts things into perspective for people. And the thing that, you know, my mom and I always say is people just don't go missing. Um, I know, um, I, I had no idea this had happened. I didn't hear it anywhere until I actually started talking to one of my friends who was actually in the podcast too. Um, and they, they texted me and they told me that this just recently happened. And I was like, I had no idea this was not talked about in the media at all. And, you know, I, I bet you've heard the story of like, Jean Benoit and like how it's still talked about about how this little white girl went missing but you know it's a huge fit when someone like that goes missing and um I was reading it in um a book that I've been really enjoying it and I actually started reading it for this podcast and she talks about um a famous celebrity I don't remember her name but she was indigenous as well and the police honestly didn't do anything it was her family who had to lead the search party for her yeah and I, and, um, oh, go ahead. I felt for me that it opened my eyes like a lot more because it's not just about like, you know, your popularity. And I thought like, how could someone like disregard a celebrity? But that says even more about, you know, the racism that's still going on. Yeah. And there's a lot of systemic issues and like with like the federal like judicial system, like there's a lot a lot to be looked upon and like I remember back when we were talking about remember that Gabby girl that like went missing with her boyfriend like it was a big thing yes Gabby Petito I do remember that yeah and like everybody was talking about her and like even a few years ago um my one of my sister's really good friends she was murdered and it was her ex-boyfriend and you know, she left behind a daughter, and, you know, may she rest in peace, but that, like, nobody really talked about it, and it was never really a big thing, and, like, her mom was, like, the one who, like, had to get a lot of the stuff going. It, yeah. it should be no no one's family after mourning a loss or a disappearance like that, to have to get people to help and find um, the missing person. Yeah, and I think not even just with Indigenous women, you know, just all women of color, like, we are more likely to go missing. And 
a lot like it's a thing that's really surprising to me is how many people like actually fetish fetish fetishize is that the word that's the right word yeah Yeah. like fetishize indigenous women and like women of color and it's kind of just like icky no absolutely like the costumes you see and like yes like especially around it and i know like media probably is to blame you know like the inaccurate representation of you know these indigenous women in culture like pocahontas but you know it all comes down to like the stereotype that they're that they're here for white men and i feel like that's something i've seen a lot in media and i can't imagine its negative effects on you know people's beliefs and opinions especially of people who don't know anything about like the history or residential schools or even what happened because a stereotype I hear a lot is you know that we do too much for like indigenous people to make up for the issues like they get to live for free and I feel like it's so disgusting that they don't even know what happened and to just you know say that it's good enough but you know it's not white people's apology to take and the thing is is that honestly we really don't live for free like um to get a house on the reserve that takes time to get approved through the band and like even with schooling like they look into your transcripts they look into your grades and then they make like chief and council makes a base decision on you know if they're gonna fund you what they're gonna do and my mother pays her taxes and so like even like back okay I'm gonna go back a little bit because er, like earlier when I was talking about in social studies class we were talking about like indigenous like culture and everything like that and this girl like started talking about how her mother like talks about how indigenous people live for free like we don't pay taxes and like stuff like that and like it just kind of it kind of gave me a different perspective on how other people see us and like I don't know and another stereotype honestly I see and hear a lot is that you know a lot of indigenous people are alcoholics Mm. and a big thing is that a lot of generational trauma happens and sometimes people like don't get the resources that they need and that's a big thing no absolutely like um you know i'm just gonna give an example you know like people who are poc black people are so much more likely to face police brutality and a big joke is you know asking black youth where's your father when you know white people are the ones like like attacking them and criminalizing them for their skin color and it's the exact same way with the generational trauma that we've given first nations people to turn around and joke and say they're all users they're all alcoholics and i feel like it doesn't it doesn't help anyone you know continuing these stereotypes instead of you know giving communities the access to mental health help that they need and i know a big eye-opener for me was in middle school um this guy came in and he I think was from the St. Mary's Reserve and he wasn't a fantastic speaker and he was telling us he was like you know they argue our identity and our status and I I started reading more about it and how like it's so deep-rooted like 
our colonialism and sexism because, you know, for a, for an indigenous man to marry a white woman, you know, they could still live on the reserve. But if a white woman married an indigenous woman, she either had to sacrifice her family and her community or her husband. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's a lot. It's a lot of things, honestly. Like, um, personally, growing up, I lived in a predominantly white environment. Um, I was adopted by my father, where I get my last name from more. And, you know, I didn't know a lot about my culture. And I didn't know a lot. You know, I didn't, I seen my mother like every other weekend, but like, rarely. And then, you know, my father got into a work accident. I actually he used to work for MB Power. And he became like a user and he started using a lot frequently. And um, so when my grandpa got sick, that was when I couldn't live with my father anymore. So I moved with my mother. So my father completely gave up custody of me and everything. And like um, living with my mom, you know, my Mimi was still alive, my grandmother. So we lived right up the road. And then my Mimi had a stroke, which was really scary. So we had to move with her. And, like, everybody was sort of, you know, everybody would stop in and see my grandmother. This was pre-COVID times. So, back when everything was normal. And, um, yeah, it just, it kind of, even though I, I honestly, truthfully, I don't know where I was going with that. Other than I, like, suffered a huge loss of identity as a kid. And now... I'm sort of getting it back and it feels really good. And there's a lot of, you know, kids who get put in like the foster system. Not that I was put, well, I was, but not until later in life. But um, a lot of kids get put in the foster care system and ended up getting like adopted off and stuff like that and don't know their culture and they don't have those opportunities or, you know, they have an indigenous mother and a white father and their mother's not in their life. So, you know, I, I really, I wasn't taught about my culture or anything like that until middle school. And it was weird to sort of have, like, be taught about your culture. No, absolutely. Um... I feel like there must be this immense pressure on um, Indigenous people and First Nations people to have to be the ones to learn their culture and their languages when, you know, white colonial people were the ones who took it away and took away their choice, especially. Yeah, like back when my grandmother was born, like when she was a kid, it was illegal to practice, you know, our traditions and stuff like that. So I'm very grateful that now I'm able to, you know, do certain things that, you know, not a lot of people before me could. And especially like me knowing that that was your grandmother, that wasn't that long ago when I feel like everyone says, oh, it was like a hundred some years ago. And it's not the case, you know, generational trauma and issues continued after residential schools closed, which wasn't even that long ago. Yeah, like, my grandmother went to an Indian day school, 
and like after that she she decided that she wanted to be catholic and you know she suffered so much trauma that she did her hail marys you know every single night before she went to bed when she got sick you know she blamed herself for turning away from god after she left like after she got out of school and like you know i tried to tell her because for a while i was really like christian like i was just brought up that way with my grandfather and my dad like you went to church and like you did like bible stuff like it was just it was really weird anyway and when i came out actually um i had like told my grandfather and i i don't think my grandfather was a bad guy you know i think he would really accept who i am now and i think he would really like you know who I'm with. I think you would like Brooklyn, but I think that because, you know, like he was really strong in his beliefs, that sort of put a stopper on things. And, you know, he told our past, like our pastor and, you know, he had the church like saying prayers for me and stuff like that. And like, I even had a pastor like pray over me. And that was when I decided to leave the church And, you know, I heard the stuff that my grandmother would tell me. And I don't know. It's just, I, I really, I don't know. And I say that a lot. Like I say, like, I really don't know, but honestly, like, it's just so much. Like there's so, yeah. It start. It's really hard to begin to unpack like how you feel and how it has affected you. You know, obviously it's gonna be a negative impact, but you know, sometimes it's easier to just you know tuck it away and not really have to deal with the emotions, and then it leads to you know problems later on. And I know that's the case for you know indigenous people and you know queer people even packing up the trauma that they have. Mm-hmm. What are the biggest issues First Nation people are facing today? Um, I find that a lot of indigenous communities are running out of language speakers and, you know, people that, you know, had know how to keep our traditions alive. And, um, I think, but also like at the same time, a lot of our elders has suffered a huge loss of their language and traditions based upon, you know, what happened to them in residential schools. So it's like, how do you get all that time back for something that you were taught was wrong and, you know, you weren't supposed to be proud of? I know in middle school, um, this is how it worked at my school. It was, um, you know, I was in the French immersion program, but, you know, um, people who um, were English learning like French in grade six and like up and that's when they were entered. It was them learning French and the indigenous people learning, um, you know, a different language. Yeah, Maliseet. And I felt like it really, um, it really made them vulnerable to like the student body, um, like knowing that, you know, they were different. And I feel like they should have implemented it to the whole school. And I feel like it would have been so much more valuable for like, you know, bigger amounts of the student body to be learning like this language and help, you know like carrying it on because you know they are like these languages are dying unfortunately Mm -hmm. 
And um, same thing for me in middle school. I was taught malice But, you know, with so many, like, there's... Okay, how do I word this? There wasn't... It wasn't, like, a whole classroom of students. It was, like, three, four of us in a room with... The teacher I had was Mr. Atwin. And um, he retired, I'm pretty sure, a few years ago. But all we did was color. That was it. And then until high school, um, I had Walter Paul. And he would give us... Like, I still have the books in my closet. But books of what we were going to learn during the semester and if we didn't learn it then you could go off and learn it on your own and um honestly I think that was really good because personally um that was like one of the classes that I passed with flying colors but yeah like with what you said about um opening it up I think that would be a really good idea because I think a lot of people want to be allies and they just don't know how. And I think that that, like, you know, being able to learn the language would be a great thing for a lot of people. Um, I know a lot of people are, like, scared to, you know, learn, um, you know, the traditions and the language of different cultures because it's not a part of who they are. But yeah. I think um, it's really important that, you know, you start appreciating it because a lot of scared people I find are scared that, you know, they're going to make mistakes or, you know, um, something that's been talking a lot is, you know, cultural appropriate. But, you know, I feel like it's so important to have friends. I, I know maybe you feel this way to like, you know, want to learn about it and have curiosity about it. I know my friends who aren't in the queer community, I find it so um it like very validates my identity when they ask me questions, ones that aren't disrespectful or, you know, hurtful, but you know, they're genuinely curious and like they want to know more. Like they're not questions that would get like a search on um Google the and a response the minute you searched it up. Yeah. Um denial of land rights is a is big in New Brunswick right now. Um how has it affected your community especially? I just wanted to say one other thing about the last thing, but I find also a lot of issues that Indigenous communities are facing is unclean water. And, like, if you're living, like, out in Nunavut, um, it's really expensive in, like, the grocery stores and just to live. And so, like, if you go into, like, a grocery store in Nunavut, like, things are typically way higher priced than usual because it takes a while to you know fly a plane over there and I find a lot of people kind of shame indigenous cultures for you know our traditional food like I'm not um Inuit but you know they eat like a lot of the whales and stuff like that and like that to me is genuinely very interesting and you know they just go about their very traditional ways of living and like living off the land um there's this creator that I follow on TikTok, and she's Inuit, um, and she, and and she shared online like what it tasted like, um, how they prepare it, and the comments were so disrespectful. It was like, if we can't hunt these animals, why can you? But um, they use the entire animal. There's absolutely no waste that goes into you know eating these animals, and you know they have the right to. Yeah, and I think that's 
Yeah. But um, with force removal, you know, personally, I try to be educated on as many things as I can. Because, you know, I believe that knowledge is power and you have the power to educate yourself. Especially, like, in this day and age and where we're, like, young adults. Um, but I've heard some things about, you know, different reserves, you know, out west with, like, oil pipelines and stuff like that. And I think that's also a big thing. And, you know, land treaties play a big part into it because, you know, um, it was either, like, you know, sign land over and, like, go into this little pot of land or, you know, we will take things away. So, you know, I've never really been affected by force removal or relocation or anything like that. But also the chief, like the chiefs of all the reserves in New Brunswick wanted to come together and rename the St. John River. And I heard a lot of people talking, you know, sort of negatively about it. And the whole, you know, Willistigway people, that means beautiful people of the river or people of the beautiful river, whichever one. Um, absolutely. I feel like, you know, it wasn't our place to name. Like, even the name Canada was taken from Indigenous people and so many of the names have been changed and um, colonized, especially to sound better or sound white. Um, and I know when I look into it, um, you know, when Justin Trudeau got elected, he made all these promises um, that all communities would have clean drinking water and, you know, um, they would look into all the missing and murdered Indigenous women and really stop the issues. And I think it's so offensive of how little has been done. And I know he's definitely been avoiding the topics lately. But, you know, the votes he got were from Indigenous people and the promises made was supposed to affect them. And for him to um, almost do zero for these issues or, you know, even talk about it, I feel like it's so disgusting that, you know, he he made these claims. Exactly. And honestly, a big thing that plays into it is it's a political move really and it's more you know for the votes for you know get the people and let them think that all these things are going to happen and it's just sort of a sense of false hope uh, in my opinion absolutely and i remember um when your brunswick was um being sued or whatever it was about you know um the ballistic white people taking back you know their land um on every email I received from the school, it would say, you know, Leo Hayes is situated on unseated, um, realistic way land. And then they stopped doing that because of, you know, the lawsuits or whatever happened that they were facing. And I had a lot of teachers who would ignore this and continue sending that on the bottom of the emails because it's important to keep recognizing that. Yeah. And I remember, um, even, like, when the big email went out, because they were, like, um, shared ancestral land of the indigenous people, like, it was, like, kind of a big slap in the face, because it's, like, everything that, you know, we've worked so hard for, it's sort of unnoticed, and we're sort of still, you know, invalidated to this day, 
not saying like we're invalidated as though like people don't like recognize us but like it's like I don't know people hold us to a different sort of standard and I find a lot of people kind of look down on indigenous people I really liked what you said earlier about knowledge being power um what do you think like people who say they care about indigenous issues can start doing to you know be a better ally you know honestly i think participating in indigenous cultures and traditions is good and like you can go and support indigenous um you know creators indigenous you know businesses but don't overdo it because you know i i say best way to you know really have a good experience and know like things that are going on around you is go to a powwow you know maybe go you know if you live i I mean actually i wouldn't say because you know sometimes my reserve holds talking circles and you can come to a talking circle and you know just listen to what other people have to say and um just if you have something that you want to learn about you know like indigenous like that sort of topic ask somebody like and don't like there's certain ways to go about things so just always try to be respectful and always just sort of listen to what the other person has to say because at the end of the day you truthfully like you you don't know so you know because I've had people ask me questions and have just totally went about it the wrong way and it like I didn't want to be disrespectful and not answer them because that also feeds into a stereotype that I'm you know I'm an angry indigenous woman and I've gotten that a lot from some people and you know yeah I I know like being in the queer community I can't imagine what it's like also being an indigenous woman you know the pressure to always face everything with kindness and, you know, like, no matter how someone, you know, poses these questions or their mindset that, you know, you have to treat them, like, with respect and, you know, absolutely I want to, you know, be respectful and, you know, educate people, but there's always going to be people who you can't educate, whose opinions won't shift and what I find best is to ignore, but the people, you know, you can tell are really making efforts but don't know how how to go about that way, I'm never too shy to say that is the wrong terminology and the way that comes about is offensive. This is how I would pose it next time and here is your answer. Um, How would you uh, respond to like disrespectful questions and comments? Um, honestly, I'm, I'm just very upfront. I'm like, okay, like, let's kind of take a second and like, what did you, what did you want? Like, how how are you expecting to that sort of go about? Like, how would you feel if, and this has happened before, I had somebody ask me a question and I was like, okay, how would you feel if I asked you that same question, like with that sort of approach? And it's like, I'm willing to answer anyone. Like I'm an open book, honestly, ask me a question and I'll answer it. But it's like, if you're being disrespectful, I'm going to tell you, but I'll also give you the answer you're looking for. So. 
Um, I just wanted to say it was really um, great to talk to you today. I'm really glad that um, you gave me so many new ideas and thoughts and you definitely changed my perspective. And as well, I hope, you know, anyone who watches or anyone, you know, out there. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, actually.